Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. Join me as we have a real life discussion on how to change your life by changing your thoughts. Remember, question everything, trust yourself, and find your truth. Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. My name is Sloan Fremont, and I'm your host. Today, my guest is Arthur Yavelberg, and he's the author of a book, A Theology for the Rest of Us. And I love how Arthur describes his book, because he talks about wanting to show the readers that religious responses to spiritual questions can be quite rational and even empowering. So I know this topic of religion can bring up a lot of things. It brings up things for me if I allow it. But I think you'll find in our conversation today, we're not talking about religion in a way that you have to believe this or you have to believe that. And Arthur's book is definitely not anything like that. It's not anything about telling someone they should follow a particular religion or go this way or that really the basis of his book is about is being able to share what he has learned so that people can really use this information and come to their own conclusions. And you'll hear me talking in this interview, how I felt like after I read this book that I really, I sort of felt spiritually stuck. Like religion did not appeal to me, but I still wanted to grow spiritually. And I felt like after reading Arthur's book that I had I I understood where I could go next. I understood how I could take bits of what worked for me and use it in my own life instead of having to feel like I needed to prescribe to, you know, one way of of being. So I think you're going to find this, this interview, not only interesting, but very beneficial as a stepping stone on your spiritual journey. So if you're a seeker, as I imagine you are, if you're listening to the show, I think that this episode is going to, you're going to find that there's there, you're going to come out on the other side of this, having a greater understanding of, of spirituality, of religion, however you want to describe it, maybe even a different view of God, divine intelligence. Again, however, whatever word you want to use to define that for yourself, there's something for everyone in this episode episode. And so I really hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy talking to Arthur. Joining me today is Arthur Yavelberg, author of the book, A Theology for the Rest of Us. As opposed to typical comparative religion or evangelical text, A Theology for the Rest of Us draws on a variety of Eastern and Western religious traditions, as well as science and literature to guide people so they can come to their own conclusions as to spirituality and their purpose in life. Arthur, I want to welcome you to the Create What You Speak podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So let's start out by telling the audience just a little bit about yourself and what led you to write your book, A Theology for the Rest of Us. Well, I um, I was a a teacher, a school administrator for a good 40 years. Um, There's something very exciting about dealing with middle school students in particular because they have a lot of questions and they don't take anything for granted or simply because you say so. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so that whole approach of, of answering questions and exploring questions with students is something that's pretty f- uh, familiar with me. In terms of the issues in the book, you know, I have to say, you know, I grew up in a very, um, you know, I, 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 not a particularly religious uh, household. My father was uh, a devout atheist. I didn't believe in anything that you couldn't point to and measure and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And my mother was very superstitious. So, you know, my father was born in Canada and my mother was Mexican and her English was very poor. So as a result of that, you know, one of these unintended consequences, I found myself in the position of having to explain things to her 
about American society. You know, I had been to school in the United States and things like that in ways that she could understand. And the connection might not seem so obvious, but um, that necessity of explaining things is something that came up in school as well as with other people. Mm -hmm. In terms of the issues themselves, these are things I had thought about for years and years. I don't know if your listeners or audience remembers, but there was this Kung Fu show with David Carradine way back west, way back when. I thought found it absolutely fascinating. And then there was King of Kings with Jeffrey Hunter, who I later found out played Christopher Pike in the pilot for the Star Trek, uh, the original Star Trek show. And I was just mystified by it. I, was, I just found it entrancing. And, you know, the Hindus have this thing that, you know, that which you are seeking is causing you to seek. And I look back on those things and I say, you know what, this can't have been an accident because this is what basically started me thinking in not only religious terms, but in unconventional religious terms. Right. It wasn't filtered by the church or synagogues or anything like that. It was purely um, me. And that's that I think guided a lot of the approach. Yeah. Before we get into the book, I want to touch on one other thing about your background, because I when I was reading about you, you have an extensive background, as you mentioned, in teaching, but also in traveling, because you've been able to see the world in a different way, I think, than most people. Can you tell us about some of those experiences you had and how they led to your maybe to to parts of the book and and how you're able to talk about this? Yeah, I got to tell you, you know, I what you see with me is pretty much what you get. There's there's nothing special about being People who know me, you know, for me, I go out and play some chess tournaments and things like that. So I'm not an adventurer or anything like that. For someone like me to have the opportunity to work in Singapore for a couple of years, I mean, I joke about it, but I didn't even know what Singapore was. I thought Singapore and Shanghai and Hong Kong, it was all basically the same place, just in different languages. Right. And yet I find myself with this opportunity to work in Singapore And from Singapore, it's much easier to travel to Japan and China and Thailand. I mean, Angkor Wat in Cambodia is an unbelievable uh, religious uh, complex of buildings that have been around for so many years. Mm -hmm. Um, And you meet the people who are involved and engaged and living the life of these people. You know, in, in the United States and in the West, a lot of religion is compartmentalized. You know, I go to church on Sunday or I celebrate Christmas or I go to synagogue or whatever it is, but it's it's compartmentalized. Whereas, no, in in the East, it's it's very much a a day-to-day practice. And you'll walk down the street and you'll see these individual shrines that people have set up, whether it's Hindu or Taoist or things like that, within the neighborhoods. And people go on a a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So, um you know, for me, and I'm a pretty rational guy, it's hard for me to believe that this this opportunity and these opportunities were purely coincidental, you know, random forces in the universe. Right, right, I right. could easily imagine God saying, you know, Arthur's interested in this stuff. He's got to get out to the Far East. But you know how he is, you know, it's got to be safe. It's got to be easy you know, all this kind of stuff. Right. And, and sure enough, everything falls into place. If not, I don't go. Right. Well, and you said yes to the opportunity, too. Correct. But it made it very easy for me. I mean, I was looking, knowing at me as I do, I was looking for reasons to say no, and I couldn't find it. (laughs) Right. I'm I'm that way, too, on a lot of things. Well, and so this experience in this, and one of the things I really loved about your book is that clear 
explanation of how things are in the East versus how things are in the West. Um, I grew up in a Catholic household. Uh, it was more to me, it always felt like it was just an activity you did. I didn't understand why I was there most of the time. I didn't know these words that we were supposed to recite. I didn't understand why we stood and kneeled and stood and kneeled. But my ultimate question, I remember asking my parents about this. I asked this in Sunday school and I always got in trouble for this question, but I'd never understood why is this religion supposedly inferior to the others? I never, or, or, I mean, superior. I mean, not superior. inferior, superior. Why is this religion superior to the others? Like, I, I don't understand that. If I have friends who don't come to this church, so does that mean they're bad for some reason or they're, you know, there's something wrong? And I, I tried to, as a child, I remember trying to rationalize this and, and trying to understand. And I, I never, because there isn't one, but I never got a clear understanding of, of why why that was and it even seemed like people were mad that i was even asking the questions well they're they're mad at you for asking the questions because they're repressing their own questions along those right. lines right so they value security and stability so if somebody like you comes along who questions these things if you have a case, then they have to start acknowledging that they have questions too, and that undermines everything. So this right. is not the fact that people got angry and upset with you is not, you know, surprising, honestly, at all. I, I do try to work within the religious thinking. So to answer your question, even though I'm, I'm not a Catholic, a lot of it depends on how you understand some of the text. So, for example, mm -hmm. when Jesus says none may approach the father except through me, it's easy to look at that and say, well, you know, this is the only way. And especially if you grow up in a monotheistic society where, you know, the first commandment, you know, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Right. It's easy to draw the conclusion that, um yeah, this is only one way, and this is it. A, a more sympathetic understanding of it, though, is that, um, it, I think, again, in think in terms of schools, it's not that, you know, high school is better than second grade, but it is more sophisticated. It, mm -hmm. it, the knowledge and understanding are a little bit better. So I think a more sympathetic understanding of the superiority in Islam, for example, Islam recognizes the legitimacy of the people of the book, whether it's Judaism or Christianity. But in Islam, they simply say, but Muhammad's the, the last of the prophets and Allah is the clearest and the best understanding of what the deity is. So it's more of a progressive thing. And then, and he's Catholic, you have people like Richard Rohr who will come along and they will distinguish between Jesus and Christ. So he will say, for example, that, and he's, again, he's a, he's a Catholic uh, monk. Um, he will say that Jesus, the name refers to historical personality in a particular point in time in a particular geographical location. But the Christ is universal. Mm -hmm. That's everywhere and everybody can access it and has accessed it in different ways, depending on culture and time and circumstances and all those kinds of things. So to, to be Catholic sounds like it means something, but it, it really doesn't unless you fill in the context of what it means to be Catholic. And you can say that about just about any religion, whether it's Buddhist or Hindu or Jewish or whatever. There are those people who only feel secure 
if they have the one and only answer and it's yeah. us or it's them. Yes. And, you know, and, you know, that's where they are and that's what they can do and that's what they can handle. And God works with everybody at their own pace. But there is, and this is part of the point of the book, there are alternatives. And right. it's, it, you, we cut ourselves off from potential supporters and kindred spirits if we simply, you know, focus in some kind of tunnel vision on one thing which we grew up with or whatever. Right. Right. And, you know, that's, that is uh, with your book, that's what I, one of the big things I felt I walked away with because I, I did feel in my own spiritual life that I was cut off in many ways because I, I, re- religion to me, the, the building that, and the people that are right. make up that and make up various rules and things, um, that is something I have not been interested in for a very long time. However, I am still a spiritual person and I want to grow in that area of my life. But I felt like I didn't know where to go with that because of these things like I talked about, like how I grew up, my experiences I had, the general confusion around it because I wasn't sure. Again, I I wasn't sure where to go with it. And I felt like after I read your book, I felt like it, it, it opened up something for me where now I understood where I could take some next steps. Whereas before I felt blocked and I felt um, maybe even like turned off or like, I can't. No, I don't want to even consider that because of past experiences I had. And even I would say even past confusion I had about things, because um, as I mentioned, things just never added up to me. And and you even mentioned this in your book about your um, being able to to go with your own sense of reason as well. Right. And there's a lot of things that didn't reasonably make sense for me. Um, so walking away after reading your book and, and I was telling you this before we started recording how there was a lot of times the way you explained things was in such a way um, that I had never heard it explained that way, but it made so much sense to me that I would be like, huh. And I'd have to actually get up and walk away from the book and digest it and see how that, what that meant for me. So I could get that point before moving on to the next, you know, the next part of the book. And that's, that's one of the things that I, I really loved about this was I walked away from your book under having a completely different under, not, I don't want to say completely, but a, 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 a different enough um, um, perception of spirituality slash religion that I felt like I could use it. I felt like I knew what to do next rather than feeling so confused and, and like I'm stagnant or not growing in that area. Well, the, the, the best word, I, I, as I said before, I, the best word I keep hearing you say is I, mm-hmm. you know, I got up and I thought about and I did this and I did that. And as opposed to saying a a different perspective, it sounds like you're coming up with your perspective. In other words, you're not just buying some party line or believing something because you were told to believe it. Certain things resonate with you and and certain things don't. You know, my my guess is, and I, I don't know anything about you personally or anything like that, but my guess is before you started this whole podcast thing, there were lots of people who told you, what are you doing? I mean, you're wasting your time and this and that. Can't you get a real job? You know, all those kinds of messages. And there was something inside of you that said, no, I I can do this. I want to do this. This is where my passion is. And, you know, I don't care. You know, I'm going to do it. Well, it's, it's the same source of that kind of inspiration that's coming from within you that, 
again, responds positively to other things and gets turned off, to use your words, blocked. You know, a lot of the spiritual process is is much like an unfolding, a, a developing kind of thing, an emergence kind right. of thing that comes from within. And to me, the best teachers, whatever the subject, it doesn't matter what the subject is, mm-hmm. whatever the subject, the best teachers are facilitators. They, they, they engage students in such a way that the students themselves are in Taoism, in Chinese Taoism, the, the, the mark of a good leader is that when things get done, the people think they did it themselves. And the fact yeah. of the matter is they did do it themselves, you know, right. because that's how it works. And the best teachers have that same relationship with their students. Now, that sounds like it makes a lot of sense, but that's not the usual uh, model that people follow. Teachers know stuff. Students don't know stuff. And what's the job? The job of the teacher is to instill in the student the stuff that they don't know. That's a whole different top-down model that is really you know, antithetical to the whole spiritual development process. And kids get turned off. (laughs) Middle school students in particular get turned off. And, you know, it's counterproductive and it leads to all kinds of anxieties and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But if you go into the approach where you have permission to ask questions, when you have permission to find out what resonates and what doesn't resonate, and this makes sense, you know, the Buddha said, be ye lamps unto yourselves. Don't listen to a thing I have to say if it doesn't make sense to you. That's much better than the Western approach of you have to believe this on faith. And if you question this, you're questioning God. And the whole point of God is beyond mystic, uh, uh, it's beyond human understanding. And therefore, you're, you're an atheist or you're, you're a heretic if you don't follow the party line. That's just not helpful. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't at all. And and I think that what you were talking about with that top-down teaching approach, especially when we grow up that way, then we're always looking for someone else to give us the answers rather right. than what your book is suggesting is here's some information, see what resonates with you and take that rather than Arthur telling everyone this is the way to believe because that's absolutely not the tone of your book or nor your intention that I know of. Well, just so again, when when all those people told you this business of, of you know this business of a podcast and whatever is never going to work, it's not practical, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you said no, I'm going to do this. This is what's yeah. important to me. But I got to tell you, most people listen to those external messages. Yes. yes, they squash down whatever they're feeling on the inside, and they become neurotic in some way. They become you know workaholics or alcoholics and things like that. You know, Alan Watts says that we're, that uh, the ideal is is calling work play because you enjoy it. You right. Know? But most people, and and part of the anxiety is not only because of the externals. People want security. People want right. to feel like they know what's happening, and to acknowledge that we don't have the answers can be unsettling as opposed to exciting. You know, Soren Kierkegaard, which is a great name to drop at a party or something like that. It sounds so cool. But he calls his book of fear and trembling, because when you start confronting these kinds of questions, what's going to happen to me when I die? I mean, I don't even want to think, you know, Jack Benny said, if I can't take it with me, I'm not going. (laughs) So this whole idea of facing the implications of death 
and all that. People will do all kinds of things to avoid that. Right. It's scary, it's terrifying, and, and all that stuff. But the common, you know, the, the lingo now is what you resist persists. Yeah. You know, it, you can squash it down, but it's still kind of, it stirs the pot underneath. And that's it the does. thing that a book like this allows us to overcome in a healthy, productive, spiritual way. Right. And you take readers on a journey. You start at the beginning of the book and then you tie it back up at the end. And I won't go into the details of that because um, I want the listeners to read the book because it's, it's very thought provoking, very much. Um, like I said, I walked away with it, having a completely different outlook on spirituality, but that those parts throughout the book, you, you identify, you use the term um, divine intelligence and you call it DI in the book. Can you tell us what that means to you? I think the important thing is what it doesn't mean. Yeah. <clears throat> it's vague and intentionally vague. You know, it's interesting in the Bible in Exodus, when Moses asks God for a name, um, God doesn't give him a name. He says, you know, I will be who I will be, or I am who I am. It's not a name. But people being people and the need to label things, they take uh, the acronym of the, the Hebrew letters, the yud heh vav -Hey, and, you know, long story short, it became from Yahweh to Jehovah. Mm -hmm. So people, by being people, took what was meant to be amorphous and vague and unclear because that's the nature of God. They turned it into something clear and definite and that kind of thing. So divine intelligence is simply a way of my way of trying to suggest the um, mystery of the universe that it is intelligent, it's not random, right. and it's not malicious. Right. But it is uh, unknowable in its essence. So that's the point of the term uh, die. Also, there is this thing somebody was telling me that die is also the prefix for double. So there are always different levels of things. So I thought that was cool. It's yeah. not true, but it, it is cool. <laughs> yeah, right. And so... Uh, and I was trying to think, because I want to talk about each chapter of the book, but we just simply don't have time for that. And again, I don't want to give the whole book away on this interview. But you talk in the book about free will, personal responsibility, because you ask the readers questions as you, as you know we progress through the book. And so you ask about free will. So how does, in your experience, how how has free will factored in to everything you've learned about spirituality, religion, and how how do you think people use their free will today? Use it or don't use it. Well, everything is a range. So I think people people say things like either you either have free will or it's determined. And for me, it's self-evident that we have to have at least a degree of free will. Otherwise, the whole question is pointless. I mean, right. <laughs> you right. ask a question, it, it sounds, you know, the assumption is, is that there's an answer and that people can disagree that automatically assumes free will. Uh, the, the way I like to think about it, um, it, it I, I like to play chess. So um, uh, a B-minus type player. And the world champion chess player is, is uh, this guy, Magnus Carlsen. Now, we sit down and we play a game. He's going to win. Um, no questions asked. But even Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player in the world, can't predict the exact moves I'm going to make before I actually make them. Once right. I make them, he guides the game to his win. And that's how I have a certain degree of free will, but at the end of the day, what needs to happen will happen. 
And the, the Bible does exactly the same way with the story of Joseph. If you look at the story of Joseph, he's born with this ability to interpret dreams. He's going to be wonderful, great, and this and that. And he has a fair amount of hubris and pride. He takes a lot of satisfaction that and kind of looks down on his brothers and even on his father. Mm-hmm. Well, the next thing you know, his brothers are jealous. They throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery and figure he's going to be dead. So if you go through the story, you find out that he finds himself in prison, you know, in pits and this and that. But he always seems to have opportunities to move up. And at the end of the day, he finds himself in the Pharaoh's household, um, able to make the kinds of moves to prevent a famine that would destroy Egypt and the whole Middle East. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, they get reunited with the brothers and the brothers are scared to death. They're stunned to find out that this guy in front of him and all this power is their long lost brother, Joseph. And Joseph says probably the least known, but most important line in the entire Bible. He says to them, don't worry. What you intended for evil, God made for good. In other words, all this stuff that took place of him being sold into slavery and all these kinds of things, fine, you did it. It was your free will. It wasn't nice. I didn't like it. It's painful, et cetera, et cetera. But nothing you could do could subvert the will of God in terms of making sure that whatever you intended, at the end of the day, it came out for good for me, for Egypt, for you, for everybody. That's how you balance free will, this whole question of free will with divine uh, destiny and on all those kinds of things. Right. So, um, you know, it, 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 well, you know, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, yeah. and it's a big topic. And I think there's that I know for myself growing up for a period of time, I had some belief that. I don't know that everything was pre-planned and I had no say in it or no control. It didn't matter what I did because some path was going to happen, whether I liked it or not. Right. And that's a very disempowering way to live. Um, Luckily, you know, I, I still don't, I don't believe that today, but I think maybe there are people who do still believe that they believe that no matter what I do, um, it doesn't matter. There's some pre determined outcome that I can't control. And I also think sometimes people use God, for example, as a, as an excuse to stay stuck or as something that they're waiting on. And which again, to me is very, a very disempowering way to live because there's that part. And you you talk about this in the book about that connecting with the divine, with the divine intelligence or whatever the word someone wants to use. Um, It's, it's a meeting of the two. And, as humans, we, we can't just sit around waiting for something to happen and expect that we don't have to take action, right? There's that, there's that part where you meet up. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. There's a, there's a real cute joke. I remember this guy prays to buy, to, to win the lottery. He wants to win the lottery. He's poor. He's this and that. He can't, but he can't, he can't, he can't, he can't. He prays and prays and prays, and finally, out of his frustration, he yells at God and says, God, I've been praying for days and weeks and months. Why can't you get me to win the lottery? And all of a sudden, you hear this voice, schmuck, buy a ticket. (laughs) So you have to do something, right? Right. You have to do something. Like what you hear so far? Take what you've learned and invest in yourself with the Create What You Speak Academy. Visit createwhatyouspeak.com to learn more. Now back to the show. It's very tempting to stay stuck. Right. 
people don't like to call it staying stuck. People are much more qual comfortable calling themselves victims and passive and things like that, which is basically a cop-out. You know, Shakespeare said that a, a coward dies a thousand deaths, but a hero dies but once. There is risk, and risk invariably involves a degree of pain and all this kind of stuff. But I know me personally, and again, I'm <laughs> no hero in, in, in any way, shape, or form of the word, but I do, anytime I'm faced with a difficult choice, I don't, you know, this business of what would Jesus do or yeah, what, yeah. all that kind of stuff. I don't right. do that. But right. I do do, what I do do is say, okay, Arthur, you're on your deathbed and you're looking back on this scene. At that point, what do you wish you had done or had the guts yeah. to do now? Yeah. Or, you know, are you going to regret that you didn't do or did do whatever. And I got to tell you, this business of death, you know, which is very complicated, et cetera, et cetera. Nevertheless, take death out of the picture and all the risks and joys and satisfactions of life disappear because nothing really matters. That perspective of shifting the focus from whatever the present choice is to the deathbed uh, will clarify for a lot of people. Do you really want to look back on this moment in time when you had this choice and you turned it down? And, and the, if you, the answer is no, um, then you change your behavior. Right. I wouldn't have gone to Singapore with that. Right, right. And look where, you, I mean, as a result of taking that leap, right? It, right. You know, it, it, so the tone I got from your book was, and I think we've touched on this, but giving people the opportunity to be more independent in their thinking about religion slash spirit spirituality, not feeling maybe necessarily that they have to be committed to one way to do something or tied to one, one, one religion or whatever the word, is. I, I, I hesitate with the words because I know sometimes that means okay. different things to different people, but um, how do you think people can start to become more independent when they think about this, when they think about religion, spirituality, whatever the word is? Well, I, I think realistically, people need to ask, give themselves permission to ask questions. And frankly, people need to associate with people who will encourage them yeah. as opposed to people who will squash them. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, people talk about lies and, you know, and pretending and, and all these kinds of things. And I don't look at lies and pretending as a moral thing as much as I see it as counterproductive. So if I pretend to be X and I do a really good job of, of pretending to be X, I may even get the things I think I want. The problem is the people who are real kindred spirits, the people who I could learn from and help along, they don't recognize me because I'm pretending and lying and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So if people want to be more independent, genuinely want to be more independent, they have to give themselves permission to be themselves. I, I think it was Oscar Wilde who said, um, uh, be yourself. Everybody else is taken. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the point of that is everybody has to feel empowered to be who they are. And if you have people around you who don't allow you to be who yeah. you are, you need to be with other people. Yeah. You need to find yourself an environment and, and relationships that value you for who you are and encourage you as opposed to conspiring with your inner naysayer 
that keeps pushing you down and pushing down. No, I can't, or I shouldn't, and God knows, and this and that. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't want to sound more, at the end of the day, you're going to die anyway. You might as well live your life in a way that you find satisfying and meaningful, as opposed to living your life and looking, you know, better to have been a has-been than a never was. You know, right. you gave it a shot, leave it all out on the field. That's how right. it works. Right. I totally agree with that. And that, 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 that changes how you, you, your days that change. And, and it seems like we don't, as humans, we don't realize that our, our everyday actions are what lead our life, what drive our life, right? These little things that don't feel like much in the moment, but if you start to go a different direction with those little things, that's generally how I've, I've found in my own experience, how my life changes. I mean, yes, there's big things like job losses and moves and things like that, but overall these small, it takes you some small decisions to get to the big decisions anyway. And so if you're not willing to understand yourself enough, I guess, to, to know um, what it is that you truly want, you're living a life for someone else. And, and that's, I mean, as you said, the, you even have a quote at the end of your book about a person being on their deathbed. And I think they said something like uh, they were, you know, upset because they weren't more like somebody else. And then the person asked them, why weren't you more like yourself? Why weren't you more yourself? I got, um, I, why was, why didn't I behave more like Moses? <clears throat> and the supporter says, yeah, God made Moses. Moses was Moses. God made you to be you. Right. You know, I, I, I think when people consistently get the message that we, the powers that be parents, teachers, government, whatever it is, what we know and you don't and yes. you constantly, constantly, constantly get the message. I, I think it's a, and of human bondage. The, the line is it's easier for me to think that I'm crazy and everybody else is sane than for me to think that I'm sane and everybody else is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very scary scenario. Babies are helpless. They right. look to the people around them for their very life. Right. If that baby continually gets the message, you don't know, you're too weak, you need to be taken care of, you know, all those kinds of things, it's very easy to not trust yourself. Right. And, it, and it's hard. However, again, as the Hindus say, that which you are seeking causes you to seek. The universe will meet you more than halfway once you start that in Taoism, it's like, you know, the longest journey starts with a single step. Yeah. Once you start little by little accumulating those little things that you mentioned just a little while ago, you'd be amazed at how the forces come together. You know, everybody knows what gravity is. Yeah. Well, I, th I think there's a moral force of gravity that works exactly the same way. We start in a particular direction. And if we're genuine and persistent, the forces start coming together to help us along. It's not always easy. It's not always painless. But at the end of the day, it's more than worth it. Right. I completely agree. I completely agree. And as I was listening to you talk, and, and I touched on this a little bit earlier about how I loved in the book, you compared what goes on in like what Western religions believe versus what Eastern religions believe. Because it's 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 very easy, especially if, if someone is, never been to any other country um, outside of the U.S. Or, or maybe they've been outside of the U.S., but not to a, an area that is completely different spiritually or religiously in that way. And when you showed in the book, you would give an example of 
certain beliefs in the West and then certain beliefs in the East. And you talked in the book and probably my favorite chapter, if I had to pick one was the chapter about the body and the soul. And you explain that about, um, you know, what Western religions, how they see it, how Eastern religions see it. And then you offered a, you know, cause it's, again, we've talked about this. It's the one or the other off uh, most of the time, right? We're only presented with, it's gotta be this, or it's gotta be that. And you have to choose which side you're going to be on. And if you don't choose the side, you better pick the right side, because if you don't pick the right side, then the other side is going to be mad. And, you know, it's, it's all of these, these things that we're taught basically, I think, you know, as we've grown up, but in this chapter, you, you give a, an alternative of what if it's both? You know, what if it's both? Both options are available. And we, we often don't even think of that. And the, this helping us see through the book that just because it's done that way in, in where you live doesn't mean it's done like that in the rest of the world. And there are other options. There are other alternatives in that, that expanding your mind in that way, I think it, it also helps as we were just talking about with the day to day or what we talked about with taking action, right? Because when we're in our little box, that's all we see. That's all we know. And we think that's all the world is, but that's absolutely not true. You know, it's interesting what people call Christianity today has very little to do with actual Jesus teachings and things like that. Yeah. A lot, especially in Catholicism, it really goes to St. Paul and St. Paul basically drew on Plato's stuff, Plato, Greek philosopher and all this kind of stuff. But the key teaching was that you have a world of ideals where everything is perfect. And then you have matter, which is an imperfect manifestation of the ideals. So you have what is perfect and you have what's, material that is imperfect so anytime you hear somebody saying something like the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak and all those kinds of things there's a dichotomy a split between this is good and this is bad heaven hell all these opposites in the east especially in Taoism, there are no opposites that are radical like that everything is complementary so yeah. good is only good insofar as it's contrasted with bad. Hard is only hard as it's relative to soft and things like that. I got to tell you. And, but in the, in, the, in the West, you'll have a psychologist like Carl Jung. And what will he talk about? He'll talk about an integrated personality. He'll mm -hmm. talk about being able to look at yourself honestly. And instead of thinking of things in terms of good and bad, you start thinking in terms of what do I want to accomplish? What kind of energies and skills do I have? And to what extent can I have them all work together to help me? And by helping me, I help everybody around me. Right. That whole business of an integrated personality, integrity, integer, all these words talk about being at one, oneness, as opposed to a Freud who will say, we have the superego that is fighting against the, the id, that, you know, and the, the ego is the neutral battleground in which all this is taking place. Instead of conflict, like you have in Freud and Jung, you have harmony, which is a much, frankly, healthier and more satisfying, but also it's more productive. You can get more stuff done when you're not fighting with yourself. Exactly. You have enough enemies on the outside, <laughs> right. you fight with yourself, it makes it even harder. Right. I totally agree. And, you know, a lot of what I talk about on this show is about helping people the intention is to help people change their thoughts which then in turn changes their reality right and um 
something occurred to me as I was reading your book and you have a section on um, quantum physics, the particle theory, where when the beam is shot it in, they try to see where it's going to go. It basically changes bases based on the perception of it, whoever's perceiving it. Is that explained correctly? Pretty much. I'm not going to pretend like I really understand it, but the key takeaway from that whole thing is that if you look at Newtonian physics, you know, for every action, there's an equal opposite reaction, all this kind of stuff. There's no room for freedom. Everything is predictable. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is a formula. The fact of the matter is by observing behavior, by observing objects and things like that, at some level, somehow we affect exactly what happens. Well, exactly what you're talking about is um, in terms of your audience is exactly that quantum physics model as yes. you know, sophisticated as that sounds in terms of human behavior, depending yes. on what your attitude is, it changes the results. Exactly. (laughs) It makes all the difference. (laughs) Totally. And so as I was hearing you talk about the Freud way of thinking versus the young way of thinking, you know, we all have a choice and goes back to free will because we, we can choose. Do we want to believe the, the, um, us versus them, or do we want to believe that more, uh, integrated as you were talking about way of being and, and being able to come from that perspective. And we all have a choice in this, no matter how you were raised or brought up or whatever, as an adult, you can start thinking about this differently. And I'm not sure why that, that, because I've known those two things separately of, of that particle theory and then changing your thoughts to change your life. But in reading your book, it pulled it together for me as if like, that's the, that's like the ultimate truth. Like, how can you, like, if you believe that, are you, if they've, um, they've done those studies, how could you not see that your life is so affected by your thoughts in any other way? How could it be any different? That, that's the thought that came to me. But well, don't forget, we were all brought up. I, you know, I'm sure you saw the same cartoons and stories I had, where you had an angel on one shoulder and the devil yeah. on the other shoulder, and you had to choose which one you know to yeah. follow in this and that. Yeah. Years and years. It's very sinister in terms of that kind of training. The notion that you know you can bring the devil and the angel together, that both bring strengths to it. It's a completely different mindset. People who don't want to accept that invariably have a vested interest in X, whatever X is. Most people who write books, most people who run churches and synagogues and mosques and all these different people, they want you to do and follow what they're telling you to do. And right away, that's got to be a signal that that's not what I want. Right. I, I want somebody to help me find out what I want. I don't want somebody to tell me that they have the answer I should follow them. But that's very hard. The only nice thing about the, the universe, as it were, is that the universe will help us if we give it a shot. If we, if we yeah. give it a yeah. chance, the universe will conspire with our better integrated selves to come toward unity as opposed to everything is division. I mean, what do you see in the United States today? Everything's polarized. Yes, completely. It's either this or it's that. It's this or it's that. The notion that we can compromise and come together for something that will work, it's completely out of the media, right? Right. It's it's, it's just not there. If you're a moderate, you're, you're a fence sitter and you're a loser. I mean, that whole mindset, you grow up with it day and it's very difficult to resist. Well, and that's what you were just talking about with 
even just uh, any situation, right? There's there's never the consideration that both people can actually be right based on their perspective, their experiences, whatever they're you know they're they're dealing with. And so that that separation, that's something I really in my own life try to pay very close attention to to not fall into that trap. I mean, it's not always easy because we're we're brought up that way, so that's what we're conditioned to do. But once you start seeing that that polarization, how that's celebrated in some way and you're aware of it, then you can start to pull yourself out of it in some cases where you can realize that it's not worth my energy or my effort to fight against somebody because first off, it's unlikely I'll change their opinion anyway. And second off, they get to have their opinion just like I get to have my opinion. And so I'm not the opinion moderator where I'm going to go around telling everybody how to think. Um, Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, again, remembering that death is, is something that waits us all. Yeah, we have precious little time. And do right. we really want to spend what time and energy we have trying to convince somebody else that they're wrong, they're right? Right, right. You know, it's just not worth it. No, I know. I want to touch on one more thing before we wrap up today, because this was also a big theme from what I got from your book and just even your background was how you have a specialty in making very complex ideas available to anybody who wants to learn. And I, I 100% definitely agree. You did this with your book because these, these topics are huge there. Um, and your book is 95 pages, 93, some, some, somewhere in there. So for anybody who's new to, or, or maybe somebody like me who feels felt a little spiritually lost prior to this, even listening to this conversation, what 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 advice would you offer them about about getting into to this topic more so that they can really use what you've talked about in your book to find what makes sense to them and be able to use that to go forward and really grow in their own life? Well, I, I you know, first off, the, 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 I'm glad to hear you find that the book makes complex ideas accessible because that's certainly a, a big goal. Uh, um. The answers are not going to come from outside. Right. Okay? The, the right. answers are going to be uh, something that emerges within. Now, how do you facilitate that emergence? How do you facilitate that whole process? You know, there are lots of, the book is a great, honestly, I think the book is a great way to start. Um, but the important thing is to make a note of the questions that emerge from within in response to the book. And yeah. once you do that, you have your building blocks. So you can, I, you know, I'm real comfortable. Ask me, but yeah. you know, I don't have all the answers, but I do have the kinds of questions that will point people to where they think they want to go. And there are other people, you know, we, you know, people complain about technology in a lot of ways. I mean, there are YouTube videos on everything from right. every perspective you want. Right. There are podcasts, there are shows and things like that you start in a particular direction, you'll be amazed at the resources that will turn up and become available to you. But you, you just have to start. Once you yeah. start, as total journey, longest journey starts with a single step. Once you start, things will start little by little falling into place. Yeah, and in my own life, what I found is when I ask the questions, the universe delivers the answers. Correct. Usually not in the way that I ever expect it, but I find myself being like, ah, I just had that question. And now here's the answer. And so I agree. Being willing to ask the questions is is where it all begins. Um, you had people who told you to stop asking questions. Yes. 
I did. And you asked them anyway. I did. Yeah, not I everybody did. can do that. Yeah, I did. Because that made me more just defiant. What do you mean I can't ask the question? Right. Now I'm going to ask even more questions because you just told me I couldn't ask the one question. Right. <laughs> but that's my nature anyway. But um, <laughs> well, it's uh, the nature of success. Yeah. Well, now, every genius, every genius after the fact is recognized as a genius. But in their own time, everybody thought they were crazy because they were so unconventional. Right. Albert Einstein, Picasso, pick a genius in any field. In their own time, people around them told them, what are you, nuts? Yeah. And they went ahead and did it anyway. Yeah, I know. And there's so much satisfaction in that, too. And I and I think I've gotten more comfortable with it as I've gotten older. But, um, you know, Arthur, I could talk to you for hours because this topic is one that I'm just so interested in uh, on many levels. I, I want to thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate I appreciate your giving me the opportunity and the universe for setting it up in yeah. such a way that we could do this. Yes, for sure. Before we wrap up today, can you let the listeners know how they can find out more about you? Uh, yeah, it's, it's real simple. I, I have a Facebook group, you know, based on the book, A Theology for the Rest of Us. Anybody wants to contact me personally, first initial, last name, ayavelberg at outlook.com. You know, one of the nicest things for me out of this whole book thing is the number of people with questions and this and that, and we get into exchanges. Oh, I didn't think of this. And I didn't think of that. And oh boy, they, you know, that's something to think about. It's exciting. And it's the same kind of excitement I had when teaching in terms of seeing students, you know, digest things and think about things. But the main thing is for people to walk away with the sense that they have permission, that they give themselves permission to ask the questions yeah. and start the journey. Yeah. Because even though it's going to be scary sometimes, and even though you're going to alienate some people that you thought were your friends, yeah, it's worth it because it's yeah. going to be exciting, you know, and no, no pain, no gain. Right. Well, and the questions never stop. That's what I found in my own life. They're going right. to keep going. So, you know, you can decide how long you want to put them off. <laughs> but um, right. Arthur, again, I want to thank you for joining us and I'll put oh, the link. my pleasure. Yes. And I'll put the link in the show notes to your Facebook group and your email address. So if the listeners have any questions or want to join Arthur, uh, that'll be in the show notes for you. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Create What You Speak podcast brought to you by webtalkradio.net. You can also hear the podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and your favorite podcasting platform. I'm Sloan Fremont, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the Create What You Speak podcast, where we will continue to free our minds, expand our consciousness, and untangle those thoughts and patterns that keep us from living the life we desire. Check out my website, sloanfremont.com, to learn more. <laughs>